The Insurance and Injury Law Show. Simple way to get a hold of Savan anytime, 416-216-5910. You want to throw some emails our way, we'll get to that as well. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We like to start this show with uh, looking back, the, uh, what we call it the week that was, some previous cases and some stuff in point that you want to get to, yeah? That's right, John. Uh, let's start off with uh, with a few cases, but... Uh, you know, I, I really had this this uh, program um, prepared and lined up mm-hmm. earlier this week, uh, and then one of my employees was involved in a car accident. So I thought I really? would talk about what happened because okay, it's cool. very telling, and there's a good lesson there to be learned. He was a passenger. Uh, his friend was driving. Somebody made an illegal left turn in front of them, and, of course, there was a collision. Uh, now, here's the interesting part. My employee, uh, who, who's, who's a smart guy, mm-hmm. uh, was wearing a seatbelt. His friend... I'll reserve comments for his friends later. Right. Was not wearing a seatbelt. Guess who got injured more? The right? friend. It, the friend, exactly. And not just more, a lot more. Uh, please, everyone out there, when you're driving, make sure to wear your seatbelt. Let me, let me talk about uh, the, the legal ramifications right. here. So clearly the other car was at fault for the accident. They made an illegal left turn. I, I think that they were charged. But what's going to happen when my employee's friend is going to be starting a claim for compensation? We talked about this before uh, uh, months ago, I think. So it's a good time to revisit this. If you are driving without a seatbelt, that's illegal. And what does that mean from a compensation standpoint if you are injured because of someone's negligence? Well, let's say you start a claim for injuries and you were not wearing a seatbelt, we have a case, uh, a, a case from a few years back from the Court of Appeal of Ontario that says that in the event that you are injured because of someone's negligence and you were not wearing a seatbelt, you could be dinged up to 25% of your damages. So what wow. does that mean? If your injuries, if your compensation is worth $100,000, the court may actually deduct up to 25% of that just for the fact that you were stupid. Okay, very, very important. So not only should you just wear a seatbelt because it's common sense, uh, and, and of course it could save your life. And, and by the way, John, I can speak from personal experience. My grandmother, uh, when I was very young, when I was a toddler, actually got killed because uh, wow. my grandfather uh, got into an accident, single car collision. She wasn't wearing a seatbelt. She was ejected from the car, and she was killed instantaneously. Jeez, so really? this affects me on a personal level, but I can tell you from a legal le- uh, um, s- uh, standpoint, just from doing this on the defense and on the plaintiff side, if you are not wearing a seatbelt, you are injured, someone else can be 100% responsible for your injuries, you are going to be dinged a certain amount, a percentage point, uh, meaning money you're not going to collect because you were stupid in not wearing a seatbelt. I'm surprised it's only 25%, to be honest. Yeah, I'm surprised as well, right? but that's the cap that we have at this point. And, you know, maybe that's going to change at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. But the point is that there are um, uh, legal ramifications. Uh, you know, this is going to affect you in your pocket, not not uh, not to mention, obviously, the injuries or, or the death that could ensue as a result of you not wearing a seatbelt. It won't affect your employee because they, he was wearing a seatbelt. That's so he's right. okay, right? That's right. My employee, yeah. if he chooses to start a claim, I don't think his injuries are that severe anyway, so I'm not sure if we're going to actually do anything, but uh, his friend certainly seems like he's going to be entitled to compensation based on what I've heard in terms of his injuries, but I can tell you right now, it's going to come out that he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. It's probably going to be in the police report, in the ambulance report. You can't hide that fact, and in fact, oftentimes, uh, you know, we can have experts giving opinions. Like, you can't say, I was wearing a seatbelt when you were not, because you can see certain injuries. You can see certain markings on you if you're wearing a seatbelt. Yeah. So, you know, you, you can't hide that. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's going to come back and, and, and bite you in the butt. Mm-hmm. Okay, what else you got? All right, so let's talk about the other cases that I was actually going to speak about. So one of them involves uh, an email that I received from a lady uh, by the name of Tammy. And I'm going to read quickly her email to me. 
she sent me this uh, this email about a week ago. Uh, she's 49 years old. She's from Brampton. And here's what uh, what what she um, she wrote. She says, "I was driving home today, listening to your show on, on AM640, and it was like you were sitting next to me, telling me to finally do something." Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm literally reading this verbatim. I had slipped in the parking lot of a local McDonald's and I landed on my knees. I tried to break the impact with my hands, uh, but my right ha- uh, wrist only took some of the impact. I've been in complete and constant pain since. My right knee on cold, damp days is much worse. Since the fall, uh, I find that there are many things that uh, I used to do and consider normal that now I struggle with. Uh, if I'm bending to pick up something or to clean and I need to get back uh, back up on my feet, I have to get uh, to a table or a bedside to help pull myself up. Mm. Uh, I had bad bruising and I fell, and I have pictures of the bruising as well as of the icy parking lot. So that's nice. a good thing. Okay, Smart. So she got that. Uh, and and here, here's what, what, what she wrote in addition. I've just recently resigned from my part-time job as the pain with work boots put too much strain on my knees. I still continue to work full-time as I have a mortgage and I can't afford not to work. Of course. Okay. So, and she keeps uh, writing a few more things. But let me analyze the case as it is. First of all, very good uh, thing for you, Tammy, for, uh, for uh, contacting me in the first place because I can give you an opinion and I've contacted her and we're in communication now. Uh, very important that she took photographs of the icy sidewalk mm-hmm. where she fell. Now, here's the problem. It's possible, it's possible that this injury occurred more than two years ago. We're still trying to figure out ah. the exact date. And it's interesting that she started off the email by saying, you know, it's like you were sitting next to me and you finally told me to do something and I should have done this a while you back. Bet. Well, I'll tell you this, John. If uh, if Tammy's slip and fall happened more than two years ago, it's going to be virtually impossible to start a claim. There are exceptions to the two-year limitation period. But if you are out there, you were injured, you know someone who was injured, uh, you have a family member, a friend, whatnot, if you wait too long, you are not going to be able to advance a claim. A, a two claim years for compensation. Window, yeah? You got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. two, two years is the window. Again, there are exceptions, but you do not want to have to argue those exceptions. Yeah, absolutely. Because as soon as you have to argue those, there's a possibility you're not going to be able to be, to, to be successful, to get compensation. So, you know, we're in communication with Tammy. We're going to try and figure out if we can help her. But, you know, how crucial it is and, and how apropos it is, you know, that we're talking about this every week. And here you have someone who finally decided to do something. Clearly, she had to resign from her part-time job. So she's going to be losing money now. I'm assuming here that she was working full-time and part-time. So now that she's only working full-time, not the part-time, she's losing money sure. on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. That's compensable against the at-fault party, whoever owned, whoever maintained the area right. of the fall. So, you know, very important people out there to understand, don't wait. By waiting, you could be prejudicing your claim. You could be in a situation where you're not going to recover money that is legally owed to you. Okay. We'll take a short break. In the meantime, 416-216-5910. That's Savan's number anytime. You want to throw us an email, we'll get a few of those during the show, and we'll get right into the injury calculator. If you're not uh, familiar with this tool, we'll lay it out for you after a short break. It's also help at the insurancelawyer.ca through email. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here, Talk Radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number 416-216-5910. That is uh, Savan's number anytime you need it. You can also email him, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We'll get through a... Uh, a few of your emails uh, through the course of the remainder of the show this hour. First, you got a couple more cases you want to talk about. That's right. Let's talk mm-hmm. about two more cases, two people who also contacted us. Uh, one individual, I'll, I'll call him Mr. M. He's from Bradford. Uh, and uh, what happened was uh, in March 2014, he was shoveling the snow uh, in, in his driveway. He had a pain in his neck and trouble moving his right arm. This is his wife. What's that? She was the pain in the yeah. neck. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> Grab a shovel, I, I honey. Didn't, I didn't say it. It's a good thing I did not identify the person. <laughs> That's right. All right. Thanks, John. So uh, he, he had this pain. He went to the doctor, and they found out that he had a de- uh, degenerative disc disease. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he had a, a compression of his spine, and he went on short-term disability in March 2014 for about six months. Now, at some point later, uh, he began uh, be- began uh, long-term disability. Uh, he, he's 55 years old. Uh, and, 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 you know, the disability insurer had no problem approving him. He got qualified, no issues. Uh, he started LTD September 2014. Mm-hmm. Now, get this. In May fi- on May 15, 2016, so literally this past, uh, this month, uh, he got a letter from the insurance company uh, saying uh, that he, does, he no longer meets the definition of totally disabled, total disability. Now, look at the timeline. September 2014, May 15, 2016, they're telling him we're going to pay you for a little bit more and then we're going to cut you off. Getting close to two the two-year year mark. You got it. Yep. So what does that mean? He's asking me, what does that mean You know that they're saying that I no longer meet the definition? How can it be mm-hmm. that for two years I, was, I, I met the definition of total disability and now suddenly I do not meet that definition anymore? And again, that's a common question mm-hmm. for people to have. And, and the answer is this. In most of these long-term disability policies, there is a change in the definition, a change in the, in the qualifying definition for disability yep. after two years. So within the two years, the, the criteria essentially for you to qualify for LTD is can you do your own job? I mean, can you get up in the morning and go and do your own job? Right. You know, most aspects of it at least. The question then becomes, what happens at the two-year mark? At the two-year mark, the definition expands, meaning it's more difficult to, uh, to, to qualify. What does that mean? It means, can you no longer just do your own job? Can you do any job for which you are suited for by training, education, and experience? Right. Okay, very, very important. So that means that, and, and I, I oftentimes give an example of, you know, if you have an orthopedic surgeon, somebody who does surgery on a, on a daily basis, if that person is injured, for the first two years, the question is, can that person continue to do surgery? If that person can't, they qualify. Mm-hmm. After two years, it's no longer can you do surgery. It's can you do anything for which you're trained for or have experience in or are educated for. Can well, you teach? Can you teach? Exactly. Instance, you right? can teach. You can go to medical school and teach. Absolutely. Yeah. So suddenly, you know, it, it's a more difficult test to meet. And that's what I think is happening in this case. But, you know, it's interesting, John. Oftentimes when I get these kinds of denial letters that I review for people who contact me, the insurance company will sometimes say, here's why we think you no longer meet the definition of total disability. And sometimes they don't, which is really odd to me. Why why would you tell someone that, you know, you qualified for two years and now under the new definition, we don't believe that you no longer qualify. And the reason I say that is because you would think that they would do some due diligence. You'd think that they would send the person for some kind of an assessment. For sure, you know, with, to their see if they can, with their own doctor. With their own doctor or you know, even a vocational expert, somebody who can say, listen, this person can do job X, job Y, job Z, in addition to, to whatever their, their, their job is, you know, that used to be. So, so oftentimes people come to me, it's because these denial letters don't actually contain enough information or... They're confusing on their face. And I have to sit down, read it, evaluate it, look at any medical documents that were submitted, and then have a discussion with the individual, which is very, very easy to do. And this is what I want to stress to people out there. If you are cut off from disability or denied long-term disability, it only takes us a few minutes to analyze if the denial or the cutoff is, in fact, appropriate. And oftentimes, it's not. And why do people contact me? Because they don't think 
that they should have been cut off or denied, mm-hmm. meaning that they probably have medical support. Their doctor is supporting them, whether it's the therapist or the family doctor, psychiatrist, orthopedic surgeon. There is a reason why people are coming to me. I, I rarely see people coming to me in long-term disability cases when they really are not disabled. Usually it's because they are disabled. They just don't know what to do. So what does he have to says, do now? Go back to his doctor, get you know, uh, get reaffirmed that no, he's not able to work or he is able to do such and such and such? Well, generally speaking, yeah. So, so generally speaking, I, I'd like to see all the medical documents that have been provided to the insurance company to date. Right. And oftentimes we'll get updated medical documents, uh, sorry, uh, updated medical reports from the doctors. But you know, John, a lot of times the reports that have already been provided are sufficient. It's just a matter of telling the insurance company, look, you know, your, your decision to cut this person off or deny them disability is simply wrong. You either reinstate them or you get a claim the next day on your desk. And once we file a claim, you have no choice but to respond. You have to hire your defense lawyer. You're going to have to pay them even if they're in-house. You're going to have to deal with me. We know that we're going to come to some kind of a resolution. So why don't you just reinstate my client right now? And sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't. When it doesn't, we go forward with the claim And I can guarantee you, John, if I'm starting this claim, it's because I believe that my client is going to get a resolution that they're going to be happy with down the road. And it's almost never failed. I say almost because nothing is guaranteed. Mm -hmm. But you know what? If I'm telling you you have a claim, I'm probably 90 to 99% sure that you have a claim. So it's your decision if you want to proceed with it or not, or you want to give the insurance company a nice gift and just let them keep the money that's owed to you. Because it's going to end up being more costly for them in the long run if they've got to you know, get their own legal team in, in, in the running and everything. Right? Absolutely. Let, let me tell you actually a side story on, on that point. Uh, there was a gentleman that had contacted us. Uh, this was about a year ago or so. Uh, he's a um, long-distance truck driver, and, I mean, the guy is on dialysis, for God's sakes. Really, really nice guy. And the insurance company has been just playing games well, we recently had discoveries, meaning that we had, uh, uh, you know, the, the the insurance company's doctor ask our client questions uh, about his disability, mm-hmm. about what happened. And get this, after our client's discovery, the insurance company's lawyer immediately started engaging uh, my associate who attended the discovery. Uh, uh, she 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 started talking to them about about settlement about resolution because she knew this had to be yeah done. Like, exactly yeah. but but you know it's so nonsensical because the documents already show that this yeah. guy can't work your time but exactly but but you know it was so telling that right after the questioning without even going to a mediation which we spoke about without setting up a conference call nothing on the spot. Can we reinstate? We would like yeah. to reinstate him. We'd like Let's to pay X up. amount. We'd Done. like to pay X amount for the future benefits. I mean, what does that tell you? Why cut the guy off in the first place? Why make his life miserable? Yeah. But without coming to us, without speaking with me, with my team, it's going to be very difficult for you, if not impossible, to persuade the insurance company to pay. 416-216-5910. That's Savan's number. And help at the insurancelawyer.ca through email. Lots more of the Insurance Injury Law Show. Coming up, Talk Radio, AM640. Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. Anytime you need to get a hold of Savan, I'll give you the email first. It is help at the insurancelawyer.ca or simply 416 216 5910. You got one more for us before we get to the injury calculator and some other business here in the show today. That's right. So I'm going to keep this one really short so we can get on to the other stuff. So uh, this is a lady. Her name is Mary. Uh, she was in a car accident uh, October of last year. 
and and here's the interesting thing about this she wasn't at fault for the accident uh, she was she was injured she had a variety of injuries a variety of issues she she wrote to us saying that she was offered $3500 from her insurance company for treatment uh, and she was of course asking what is that and we talked about that before that you know if if you didn't break anything or tear anything or didn't have any major major injuries you would be categorized as a MIG, as a minor injury, uh, under the minor injury guidelines by your own insurance company. But here's her concern. Her concern is that all these months later after the accident, probably about, what, six months now, seven months now, uh, she says, I paid out of pocket X amount of dollars. In other words, I'm concerned that I'm going to need a lot more treatments than the $3,500 that my own insurance company is offering me. Well, you know, this is interesting because she's so focused on that. And, of course, the conversation we're going to have is about, well, okay, not only are you going to be entitled to recover that excess amount, whatever Mm -hmm. you're paying out of pocket, against the at-fault driver's insurance. So not your insurance, the other guy's insurance company. But you're going to be entitled potentially to a lot more compensation for pain and suffering, you know, for any income loss, for any other out-of-pocket expenses. So she may be concerned about two, three, four thousand dollars out of pocket for various treatments where her claim can be worth fifty, sixty, eighty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. So again, very important people out there to understand you may be focused on one aspect of your claim where in fact you may be entitled to a lot more. So again, I'm stressing if you're in a car accident, uh, if you are a slip and fall accident, if there is an injury where someone else is, is at fault, seek legal advice, give me a call email me. We'll have a quick chat via email if you want. Okay, so it's not face-to-face. It's not on the phone. Just by email. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't bite, contrary to what mm-hmm. my uh, uh, colleagues at work may say about me. Uh, I, I don't bite. It's, it's really easy. And uh, we'll have a quick chat. I'll explain exactly what your rights are, what your options are, and then you're free to do, do whatever you want to do. Yep, you don't buy, but you do eat a lot, I've heard. I yeah. do, yes. 416-216-5910, yeah. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email. Let's get to this one, the injury calculator. What a wonderful tool this is. It is. It's an online free tool, and it's a database of cases from across the country. Right. And what it is is it allows anyone to go on this website, free, anonymous, uh, put in uh, where were you injured, so just put in the city, uh, just put in the date, how old are you, don't put your name, don't put your phone number, your email, nothing like that. Uh, tell the program what part of your body was injured, okay. the extent of the injury. Again, these are drop-down menus, so, so it takes like 20, 30 seconds to do, and at the end, uh, the program tells you how much money you could potentially be entitled to for compensation for pain and suffering. And this is interesting because what we've done is we've canvassed cases from across the country of similar situations, similar injuries, similar age groups, etc. And we have an algorithm that essentially takes that information and spits out that range, that range of pain and suffering, the dollar value you could potentially be getting if you choose to start a claim. Tell us about uh, what that exact amount is. Now, people might look and say, okay, 30 grand for my elbow. That's uh, that's not too bad, but this is really just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah? It is. It is. I mean, you could be entitled to a lot more than that. I mean, listen, you, you could have uh, a fractured wrist, for example. Let's say that's worth twenty, thirty thousand dollars dollar value, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, but what happened, uh, you know, if, if you're a construction worker, if you're an electrician, if you're doing anything that's important with your hands and you cannot go back to work, for a certain period of time, you're losing money. Who's going to pay you that money? That money could be recoverable. Oftentimes, it is recoverable. But let me ask you this, John. What if you're 45 years old, you tore your right shoulder, you've been doing construction for 20 years, or you've mm-hmm. been doing anything physical for the last 20, 30 years, 
you're not going to be able to go back to this type of work. Maybe you'll get a different job that pays you a bit less. Well, what about the differential, right? For the next 20, 25 years, you're going to be losing, let's say, five grand, 10 grand, 15 grand a month, uh, sorry, uh, a, a, a year. Who's going to pay for that? Well, that's recoverable. So you can have a case where, uh, you know, you broke your wrist, you're entitled to $30,000 for pain and suffering, but your future income losses are worth $200,000, $300,000. Very, very important to understand that this program that I've created allows you to calculate your pain and suffering only. It's impossible to create a program that tells you how much you're going to be entitled for other things. Too many factors. Because there are too many factors. It's very case-specific, which is why it's very important to consult with a lawyer. So that's why in the program... Uh, when when you get that amount at the end, you, if you want to proceed further, if you want me to uh, assess your case specifically, me personally, there is a button there you can click, and then you can email me directly your information that you've inputted. If you don't click that button, it's as though you've never been on the website. I have no idea, you know, who used the website. All I know statistically is that a ton of people go to it because, you know, we, we know that a lot of people click on the website mm-hmm. and use it, but I have no idea who is using it unless they contact me. So if it's a severe, I've, I've gone through the program. I know what I'm, uh, what I'm um, able to get through compensation, save for lower back injury. Say that injury's got to the point where I'm going to need someone to come do my laundry or cut my grass or do stuff like that around the house. Can I also claim stuff like that? Yes, you can. You can. And, of course, it d- depends if, if we're talking about a car accident versus a slip and fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, you know, generally speaking, yes, that's called an out-of-pocket expense. So, for example, if you have a friend that's cutting your lawn now or doing, uh, you know, shoveling snow, someone coming to your household helping you three hours a week, three hours right. a day with cleaning, etc. very important to keep notes. Even if you're not paying the individual right now, let's say it's a friend, but you have a claim that's ongoing or you want to start a claim for compensation, have some kind of documentation that confirms that you're going to pay that person at some point in the future. In other words, there is an IOU here because then that becomes uh, an out-of-pocket expense. It hasn't been incurred yet, but it's something we can claim for, for the future when we actually pursue your claim. So very, very important. And again, even how you pursue these out-of-pocket expenses is, is important because, you know, when I was doing defense work, working for insurance companies, Oftentimes, I, I would see lawyers miss out when they represent clients, miss out on, on huge amounts that their clients would be entitled to for out-of-pocket expense. They would focus on income loss. They would be focused on pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't be focused on uh, uh, you know, major expenses, renovations around the home that the person was undertaking before the right. accident. We'll take a, a few emails when we come back from a short break. The number to get a hold of Savannah anytime, 416-216-5910. Email that I mentioned, that address is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. The number anytime to get a hold of Savannah, 416-216-5910, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We've uh, had our, a bit of a conversation. In fact, a couple of the week that was uh, emails you were talking about were about car accidents. In fact, an employee of yours was in one recently. And you mentioned uh, a couple different turns, out-of-pocket expenses and special damages. What is that? So, so you know, when we advance a claim for compensation after an accident, uh, what, what we're looking at as lawyers is, is we have this term called head of damage. Uh, and what does that mean? It means a category, basically. So what are we claiming for when we claim for compensation for injuries? We claim for pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. We claim for income loss. We claim for a, a possible impact on the person's, uh, person's competitive advantage in the workforce. Uh, so in other words, the person is not as competitive now. So they're not necessarily losing income, but they're not as competitive as other people in their position because they're disabled at this point. Right. Uh, you know, we're looking at future care. Perhaps they need uh, rehabilitation um, uh, treatments. Things that are not covered by insurance that they're going to have to expend out of pocket. 
So we also have a category called special damages, out-of-pocket expenses. And let, let me tell you uh, about a few cases that I've had in the past, and I have actually one ongoing right now, where we're going to be advancing that claim, and it's more than just a few bucks. Uh, one in particular was a few years ago was a guy who was a construction worker, and he was in a head-on collision, tore his right shoulder. Now, here's the interesting part. Uh, at the time of the accident, he was in the process of completing renovations to his basement, and uh, what we did is we went to his house uh, with a videographer and we actually did a little bit of a video and took some photos showing how uh, a quarter of his basement was done and the other three quarters were not done. And what we did is we got contractors to come in to estimate how much it's going to cost to complete the to, job. To complete job. Nice. So we're not talking about the actual uh, um, uh, uh, material, you know, th- things that he would have incurred anyways. We're talking about the actual work that he did. And we advanced that as part of the claim. And, and you know, we, we got, I think, about three estimates. And I believe that the average was around 20 grand or so to complete the work. And we advanced that. And we said, why is it that our client, who now is unable to do it, should not be compensated for that? Mm-hmm. And guess what? I had a very senior defense lawyer on the other side who said, I agree with you. I agree with you. And my client was compensated in addition to the other heads of damage, to pain and suffering, to, to uh, income loss, et cetera, he was also compensated for the fact that someone was going to have to come in, he was going to have to pay someone to complete his basement. So again, you're talking about an out-of-pocket expense th- th- that is in the five figures. I mean, it, it's substantial. Uh, and, and, you know, in fact, I have a client right now, a, a very uh, um, good friend of mine who, as a result of, of an ankle injury, uh, had to essentially redo the front uh, steps, the porch in his house, because he had to put railings. Yep. And the previous steps, uh, you know, did, did not allow him to, to put the railings. So, again, you're talking about a job that cost, I think, 15 grand or so. Wow. Again, that's going to be advanced. And, and he's got other out-of-pocket expenses. So, very important that when you uh, incur out-of-pocket expenses or you need to incur out-of-pocket expenses, that those are related to your lawyer because your lawyer is going to have to advance that. And if the lawyer does not advance that, in my view, the lawyer is negligent because it's another head of damage that could be significant and substantial. Yeah, most people would not even consider that basement thing. They'd just say, oh, well, I can't finish my basement. I'll have to get uh, some other people to do it. They were not thinking of linking that to their claim. Absolutely. And, And not only that, imagine if the lawyer for the person who's injured tells the insurance company or the defense lawyer, this is the case. If I'm the defense lawyer, I'm saying, well, prove it to me. Well, in our case, we proved it. We didn't just provide photos. We actually did a video. And it was like a two-minute video, but it was sufficient and it was persuasive. And there's no way that they could argue that our client was not uh, you know, entitled to, 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 that, to that compensation because he's going to have to incur that amount mm-hmm. to have someone come in and, and, and you know, finish the basement. And what's unique about that or unique about your firm is you've sat on the other side, and I'm sure you've seen cases where, guys, keep it quiet, but he totally could have claimed for this basement, but he's not doing it. This, I lo- have. this lawyer's not that sharp. You know, so, so first of all, I've seen that happen quite a few times where people did not, where lawyers did not advance those claims, but I've also seen lawyers who overreach. You know, the, um, uh, the example of some, that uh, sometimes you hear of, of, you know, the house that burned down and, you know, as it happened, you had a Van Gogh uh, painting that right. was in there and you're trying to claim that. You know, it's just stupid stuff like that. So I've seen lawyers, when I was doing defense work, claim for just ridiculous stuff as out-of-pockets. And what happens then is that you lose credibility. Yeah. So again, it's really important that when you have a lawyer that's advancing your case, that that lawyer has credibility with the insurance company. 
because if that lawyer doesn't have credibility, if that law firm is not considered to be uh, a player in the personal injury world here in the GTA in Ontario, then the insurance company is going to be uh, uh, dealing with you accordingly. And you as an individual who, who you know, as, as a lay person, you're not going to know necessarily that the lawyer that you hired uh, is the type of lawyer oh, that sure. is considered to be serious. So it's very, very important to do your due diligence where you choose a law firm and a lawyer. Well, you know, I've been working with you doing this show for a few years, you and, and Lior on the employment side. So, you know, for me, it's a no-brainer if I get into an accident who I'm going to call. But how does one generally decide what lawyer to hire represent them for uh, for a case? Well, th- that's an excellent question as well. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because before I went to, uh, to law school years and years ago, my family was involved in litigation. One was commercial dispute and the other one was a wrongful dismissal. Believe it or not, my father was fired and we were in the same predicament. How do you find a lawyer? Right. Well, listen, you got to do your due diligence. You got to go to whoever you trust. So, so you got to not just look at the billboards and listen to the radio or look on TV and see, you know, a, a nice flashy uh, ad. It's more than that. You have to contact the people. You have to see if they're responsive. That's that's the number one thing for me because if a lawyer, if a law firm is responsive, it tells me that they're on the ball. It tells me they have enough staff. It tells me that they understand that everything happens quickly. They, it tells me that, you know, if I'm calling them today, I'm going to get a response today, not yeah. next week, and I don't have to leave 1,500 messages. You know, you're looking at experience. You don't want somebody, as far as I'm concerned, who just started practicing yesterday. That person can be the best person. It could be the person with the highest marks in law school, but you need somebody with experience. Now, I have experience doing defense work. I've been on the other side. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a huge advantage when I'm dealing with insurance companies. And oftentimes... When I deal with insurance companies, uh, I, I actually play that card. I say, look, uh, I understand where you're coming from. I've and been that, there. That, I've been there. And that gives me credibility because the insurance company knows that I'm not just out there uh, you know, trying to, to, to you know, make something out of nothing, that I understand where they're coming from. It, it's, it's really important. That doesn't mean that if you look for a lawyer and the lawyer hasn't done defense, that lawyer is bad. No, there are a lot of good lawyers out sure. there who only do plaintiff work. But I'm just saying that. If I'm looking for someone, I'd like someone on both sides of the fence. So, for example, if I'm looking for a, a tax lawyer, uh, it'll be nice to have someone who, who has worked for CRA before. And understands their exactly. policies and so on and so you forth. You got yeah. it. Exactly. So that's very important. So experience is very important. Um, and, and I'll tell you this, John. I was at a conference recently where uh, the people who were doing the conference, personal injury conference, were talking about some really dirty methods that are out there now, American style, I would say, not the dirty, the American name, but, you know, things you would expect south of the border, uh, such as, for example, uh, you know, families who are in hospitals uh, and and are there because loved ones have been in, in tragic accidents, and they're being approached by individuals who are, who are, you know, let's call them trolls, who are trolling essentially mm-hmm. the hospital hallways and are trying to get them to sign up with certain lawyers. Nice. My God, be very careful of that, okay? Because any law firm that would employ that tactic, that would try and solicit your work while you're in the hospital. When you're at your lowest point. My, you know, that's, if that's not the clearest case of ambulance chasing, I don't know what it is. No I would kidding. be very, very hesitant to go with a lawyer. You know, I've had clients ask me to come to the hospital and I got to tell you, John, I'll be absolutely honest with you. I feel dirty every time I do that. For sure. I, I, I mean, I do it because they've contacted me. Uh, usually it's because I've helped someone in their family. I've helped a friend. So there's a contact point. Mm-hmm. It's not because I've asked someone to solicit for me or I've gone and solicited. This is not the movie. Uh, remember that movie with yeah. uh, Matt Damon? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what's called The Rainmaker? Where Danny DeVito was going to the hospitals and, and leaving uh, cards, cards with people who were injured. I mean, a great Brutal. classic movie. Uh, paralawyer, right? Yeah. He was a paralawyer. But anyways, my point is that if you have someone soliciting like that and, and you come in contact with that person, I'd be very hesitant. I'd be very careful yep. of dealing with a law firm 
that uh, that has sent that person. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to some of your emails after we return from a short break right here at Talk Radio AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, 416-216-5910. That is Savannah's number anytime. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That's the email we get from Sandra. Newmarket says, I've been on long-term disability for almost two years and have a good relationship with my adjuster, but she just called me this week and said that they will be cutting me off because I don't meet the new total disability definition. Here we go. She said that they uh, cut almost everyone off at the two-year point, and then I should be thinking about getting back to work. I was shocked to hear this. Is this common? So this is interesting, John. Uh, because I've spoken before when we started the show uh, about that two-year mark mm-hmm. uh, and, and this idea that people have that you know they're getting cut off and is this normal, L- let me answer Sandra's email with, with this. What I did is I just went on Google and, and tried to see if insurance companies have actually dealt with this issue, with this two-year mark and this perception that everyone gets cut off after two years. So get this. Uh, I, I came across Manulife, uh, Manulife's website, and it contained the following, and I'm reading verbatim here. Uh, this is what they have. They have a question section, and this is the question on their website. I have been advised by some of my colleagues that my benefits are cut off automatically after I have been on LTD for 24 months. Is this true? This is the answer from the Manulife website. Okay. The short answer is no. This question relates to the definition of disability, which changes in many group benefits following 24 months of LTD. Your claim will be reassessed 12 months prior to the change of the definition date. The, dec- the decision to continue or terminate your benefits will be based on your medical condition and the definition of disability in your LTD contract. Uh, the definition of disability changes at the 24-month point. Entitlement to LTD benefits beyond the 24-month uh, point changes from being unable to return to your previous occupation to being able to be gainfully employed in the workforce in generally. Now, Forget about the the details of this answer. The mere fact that this question and answer, as I've just read it, is on Manulife, on on one of the largest insurers' Mm -hmm. uh, websites, indicates to me that this is, in fact, a common perception out there by people, which is borne out because a ton of people get cut off at the two-year mark. Really, really important to understand uh, that this is very, very common. So, Sandra, let me just turn to your uh, uh, email now. Uh, now, you say you have you had a good relationship with your adjuster, and maybe that's the case. Maybe that's true. I'm always very careful when I deal with adjusters. And again, I've said many times that I have friends who are adjusters. Many of them are very good people, mm-hmm. but they are working for the insurance company. They're not working for you, okay? Uh, the fact that they're telling you that uh, you no longer meet the new definition or you now don't meet the new definition f- you know, to get benefits beyond the two-year mark, th- that, that, does, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that it's true. So as soon as you hear that, you should immediately be consulting someone. So in mm-hmm. your case, Sandra, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's going to be very easy for me to assess whether or not you're going to be entitled to benefits beyond the two-year mark. But, but what Sandra says is, she says uh, that the adjuster said that they cut almost everyone off at the two-year point. And again, you know, that's, it's interesting to me that, she, that Sandra's saying this because clearly from Manulife's own website, the fact that they have this question about, you know, are, you know is everyone getting cut off at the two-year mark, right. that indicates to me that it's just so common and prevalent. So what I would tell people out there is this. If you got a letter or a phone call or an email or something from your adjuster after being a year, year and a half, two years on long-term disability, and you've been told, that you no longer qualify for LTD beyond the two-year point, don't simply take that at face value. Call me, email me, 
honestly, there's no cost to this. I mean, what's the downside? If you yeah. don't do this, if you don't do this, you're essentially giving the insurance company a gift. I mean, this, this is what I'm telling people. This is money that's owed to you. We're not going after an insurance company, you know, with with uh, uh, um, you know a magic wand. This is the law provides for you to be able to get this compensation. But insurance companies are in the business of making money, which means that if they can cut you off, and you're not going to challenge them, and you walk away, they they're holding a bag of money, and that bag of money belongs to you. Now multiply that across you know thousands of claims maybe even millions of claims just imagine how much money is just left there that's not claimed so if you're in that situation if you have a family member in that situation if you have a friend if you know someone in that situation urge them to call me or email me i mean again what's the downside for god's sakes and both those numbers or both those contacts are as follows 416-216-5910 that's the phone number anytime it's the Vance personal number and help at the insurance lawyer.ca we'll get to one a few more minutes of the show here the insurance and injury law show talk radio am 640 the insurance and injury law show the number to get a hold of savan very simple 416-216-5910 and help at the insurance lawyer.ca well, uh, I got a car question for you, car accident question anyway. Shoot. So some people are injured in a car accident, they, uh, they can't work, and then they go off on long-term disability, but disability insurers cuts them off. We've been talking about that all morning. Uh, do you need separate lawyers to deal with all these things, or can the same lawyer and same law firm do everything? That's an excellent question. In fact, my wife actually asked me that this past weekend. How about that? I, I don't know why. I think something came up in conversation. But the answer is that I, I prefer to deal with all the claims uh, in-house. And so, uh, you know, we certainly have the resources, we have the expertise to be able to deal with car accidents, LTD, employment, all that kind of stuff. Because, listen, if you have multiple claims and you have multiple lawyers, it's like having too many cooks in the kitchen. That's just the reality. And I've seen situations where you have one lawyer dealing with accident benefits after an accident, one lawyer dealing with the tort claim, which is the claim against the at-fault driver, Mm -hmm. another one dealing for the LTD. I mean, can you imagine the complexities? And here's the problem. Each one of these lawyers is doing their own thing, they may or may not be talking. Yes. And, and, and the, the problem is that you know by having three separate claims that are moving in different timelines, everything is slowed down, it's bogged down because everything is interdependent. These claims all stem from the disability, what from the mess. injury. It's a mess. So ideally, you want to make sure that it's the same law firm, uh, not necessarily the same lawyer within the law firm, but the same law firm because usually they work in teams. In, in our firm, we work in teams. I have a team of several lawyers, assistants, clerks. We work together. We have uh, um, monthly meetings to talk about each case to make sure where it's moving isn't moving in the correct way. Uh, it, do we need to do anything more at this point to move it forward, to push it forward? Uh, so very, very important to understand that if you have multiple claims like this, not just disability, even employment, employment and a personal injury, if you can have one law firm dealing with your claims, that's ideal as far as I'm concerned because it means that everyone is coordinated, meaning that efficiencies are there and the claims are going to be resolved much quicker than they would be otherwise with multiple lawyers. Spoke a lot on the show about long-term disability, so should people wait or they have to wait till they're cut off before they uh, contact you? No, I mean, listen, they, they can wait until they're cut off. Uh, my, my advice usually is this. You will see the writing on the wall most times. So, for example, Alexandra, who wrote to us, uh, saying that uh, you know she got a call from the adjuster and the adjuster says that they're gonna um, you know cut her off. Well, at that point she hasn't been cut off yet, but she's been told she's gonna get cut off. Immediately seek legal advice if that happens. But you should also seek legal advice before that happens. So let me tell you some of the warning signs you should watch for. Listen, if if the insurance company is asking you to see one of their doctors, 
to me, that's a warning sign. It indicates to me that they're trying to assess on their end whether or not they should continue paying you. And you want to make sure that you speak with me, speak with someone on my team uh, to understand exactly how you should be dealing with that doctor and what that means. Um, you know, if, if the insurance company is saying that they want you to try a return to work program, meaning try to get back on your feet, again, see the writing on the wall. They're setting up the claim uh, to try and, and get you off benefits, perhaps cut you off, perhaps say you did not try hard enough. You want to make sure you're prepared because really there's a power imbalance between you as a disabled person and the insurance company. Uh, what if the insurance company asks you to do an assessment, for example, functional abilities uh, evaluation, right. in-home assessment, transferable skills analysis, a vocational evaluation? Jeez. What are these kinds of things? Well, let me tell you this. What What's a... Uh, What's a vocational evaluation? What's a transferable skills analysis? Why are they having you do these assessments? Very simply, John, remember what we said? At the two-year mark, uh, the definition of disability changes. It's can you do other types of jobs for which you're suited for? And so what they want to do is they want to get a report from an expert that assessed you to tell them, look, this person, perhaps they're disabled from doing their job, but look, there's 10 other jobs that we've identified by working with them, by that assessing them. you're good them. to do. Exactly. Nice. So again, whenever the insurance company is, is, yeah, they're paying you, but they want you to do certain things, go to their doctors, provi- you know, provide more in-depth medical documents. Whenever you get a gut feel, like something is off here, give us a call, email us. Because you know what? Oftentimes we can avoid these cutoffs. We can avoid the confrontation before it happens. They want you off their books. They want you off their books, exactly. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, but my point is that you don't have to wait until you're cut off. And oftentimes when you wait until you're cut off, it's a little bit too late. We can help 100%. In fact, most people who come to me, it's after they've been cut off or, or denied. But oftentimes, if you come to me before you're cut off, before you're denied, we can prevent it from happening. And if we can't, we put you in the position where you know we can immediately do whatever needs to be done to get you either back on disability or get the case to some kind of a resolution. 416-216-5910. That's the number you want to write down. Get a hold of Savannah anytime. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and check out injurycalculator.ca when you got some time. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640.